Hey guys, this episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom. Dexcom, of course, is the continuous glucose monitor that gives you a complete picture of your glucose by showing you where it's going and how fast it's getting there. We're also sponsored by Omnipod, the tubeless insulin pump that brings you peace of mind with its flexible and precise design. Simple and discreet, the waterproof Omnipod is the way to go. If you want a tubeless insulin pump, you definitely want to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And don't forget Dexcom, Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. If you can't remember those, there's links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Welcome to episode 158. 157? 157. Welcome to episode 157 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is called Lindsay is a Cornucopia of Emotions. I reached out on Facebook, I think, looking for the answer to a really kind of strange question that popped into my head. And Lindsay said, I can answer that question. And then when she came on, she shared stuff that was unexpected. I'm going to say unexpected, as was the entire conversation just really great and it picked up as it went it it was like a rock rolling downhill it started off and i was like oh this is gonna be good and then by the time it was over i was like "Ah, what a great ride all right people listen what am i gonna say here nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice medical or otherwise always consult a physician before being bold with insulin by the way if you're a basil fan there is some quality basil snoring in the beginning of this episode have to try to remember the the genesis of this exactly so i'm online and i see somebody say something about being scared of something going away and i have this immediate thought is this person saying that they're you know um what, what, what would they do if diabetes went away? And I started having this whole daydream about like, I wonder if that would, how that would feel to people. And, and you assume most people would just be like, this is fantastic. And, but I said, but somebody must have had diabetes for so long that they would feel like a little piece of them is gone or some of their identity or something like that. And by the way, I went back and reread what the person wrote. I just misread them. <laughs> <laughs> you see what you want to see. Uh, well, at the very least, what ended up happening was I thought this would be great. I wonder if there's anybody who feels like this. And I went on Facebook and I was like, does anybody think it would be scary to be cured? And there were two people, there were a lot of voices who were like, no way. But there were two people who said, I can see what you're saying. And you were one of them. So I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thank you so much. It's uh, I mean, I do, I have thought about this before, um, you know, meeting people who have had pancreas transplants, which I know is not a cure, but it does, you know, it does make the diabetes part pretty much go away right, right. Uh, in some cases. And just thinking, what would that be like if I could wake up whenever I wanted? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it's terrifying to completely be able to change the way you live. Like every moment of your life might be different. Yeah. No, it just, it's so, so we'll start right away at the beginning. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was almost 12. It was less than a month to my 12th birthday. So you're a good long time into having diabetes. You're, I don't know, 18 years? That was quick math. Is I, am I right? <laughs> yeah, it's about 18 years. And, uh, but, you know, being diagnosed at 12 is a lot different than having it as a small child. Like, I never had my parents take care of it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I took over myself as soon as we left the hospital. So there's a lot of experiences I don't understand. And volunteering recently, I started volunteering with JDRF chapter here. And I didn't realize how much, you know, the disease affected parents. I know that's really, really ridiculous to say out loud. But, you know, I only had my experience. I never even considered that, you know, when children are young, it's the parents have the disease too. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's funny because... You're, you're seeing what, what, what you're talking about right now is, is super interesting, right? Because you're diagnosed such a long time ago, not to try to make you feel old, but, but, <laughs> such, but, but so long ago that it's really before um, any semblance idea of like glucose monitoring or even people who are testing as frequently as people test nowadays who don't have glucose monitors, right? So you were more in this like space of 
this is how much insulin you take at this time and then you eat and then you take insulin again. Is that about how you're, tell me a little bit about your day when you were 12 years old and you're like, I'm taking care of my diabetes now. What did that mean? Uh, yeah, there was no, there wasn't even a sliding scale or I don't even remember what they called it now. I, I had to eat this many carbs at lunch. I could not have more or less because I was taking insulin for that many carbs. I couldn't have an extra cookie and take a little more insulin. That was not part of the regimen. And that was very restricting Yeah. and not fun, especially, like I said, it was a month before my birthday. So my first diabetic birthday was very unhappy. Because, because it was, they restricted foods from you, right? There were certain things they would not let you have. Well, I could only have, you know, 60 carbs per meal, 15 carbs per snack. So, you know, cake, I could have one piece of cake at my meal time, and that would be all the food that I could have for the rest of the day. I, it, yeah. So that restrict, they didn't say you can't have this candy bar, but, you know, I could only have 60 carbs. That's not a lot of carbs. Right. Oh, so you were, so you had this, you had a number, you were eating to a number. Yes. That's, did that cause you any kind of weird feelings about food? I, I definitely have some, some eating issues, <laughs> um, uh, some binging issues, which may or may not be related to the diabetes. Probably, you know, I can only have this many. And I would sneak candy a lot as a kid and uh, got in a lot of trouble because it was against the rules. It, I mean, how do you explain to this? kid that these are the rules or you're going to die like (laughs) and so that is it really so when you say they're against the rules it really was the idea of like there's a set written rule that came from a doctor and we're following it it wasn't so much about your health like the way you think about your management now i would imagine is more about like keeping your blood sugar in a range trying not to spike or fall too far and things like that but those were none of those were considerations the rules were just this is how much food you can eat this is how much insulin we give you Yes, wow. that's exactly it. Wow. And just, it was like that for years. And that's just 18 years ago, which is yeah. not that long. When, at what point in your, in your life does that start transitioning away from that? Like, who's the first doctor or you were the first person who says, this is not tenable, we can't do this? You know, I did not start being that honest with my doctor until about five years ago. Okay. <laughs> it was more of a, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing and <laughs> lying which is not how you're supposed to handle this disease at all. Like doctors are now my partners and I'm honest with what I can and can't handle and they work with me and it's, it's wonderful. But as a child, you know, I, I lied. And even into your mid twenties, you just would go in that room and just be like, everything's right as rain, man. Don't worry about it. Yes. And (laughs) did your A1C reflect that? Yes. Um, well it wasn't, it was bad. It was about an, I was around a 8.5 to a nine all of those years I was lying. And, uh, it, it showed when I changed my attitude and my behavior, um, when I wasn't just trying to ignore the disease, like when I actually started taking care of myself, it reflected immediately. Okay. And, and then I'm assuming you didn't go into the doctor's office and say, Hey, not for nothing, but I've been lying to you for like the past 12 or 13 years. And I'm, I've decided not to do that anymore. And so when you made the change on your end and the A1C started dropping, um, I'm assuming the doctor commented on that. Oh no, I've straight up told him I've been lying to you. I want to take this seriously. Now, these are the steps I want to take. What are your thoughts? Good I, for you. I was very honest with him. Wow. Good for you. Now, what do you, can you share with me what brought you to that? Like what made you say, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it this way. I'm going to do it better. Um, my, my parents had gotten very overweight and it was starting to affect their daily life and their physical abilities. And I just, I looked at them and said, I can't be like that. I need to take things more seriously. And so that's what changed my mind. And I began actually trying and understanding what, I was doing and I've turned it all around. <laughs> Things are, are great. Good for you. And being honest with my doctor was really, um, I joined a support group for chronic conditions 
and they had a class about communicating with your healthcare team. And they really pushed that you have to be honest. If you're not going to take the medication, don't tell them you're taking it because that will affect their judgments. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I mean, if I had, hadn't told them that I've been lying and they saw this change, they'd be checking for what could possibly have caused this. Like they might think something else was happening. Yeah. It's such a good point. If you're, if, if you're not being clear with them and they don't have all the pieces, then they start trying to put a puzzle together without all the pieces. And then they're going to end up doing a lot of things that, that aren't good for you trying to do something good for you. And, and exactly. yeah, that's a danger uh, you don't want. So, okay. So there, now I have a lot of questions. <laughs> well, well, eventually we'll get to why you're on. So why, um, so you said your parents had a, uh, had a weight increase that scared you. Were you also having a weight increase as a family? Were you, all trending in one way or did you just see it happen to them and think I don't want that to be me we were all trending in that way my eating habits were taking after theirs and yeah we we were all um, overweight and uh, my parents have taken it more seriously and they're losing weight as well and um, I've learned to eat foods that aren't beige I spent a year vegan that has really educated me about nutrition and vitamins and whatnot uh, you have to yeah, tell me what that means, though. Eat, you won't eat foods that are beige. Tell me oh, why. Well, I, I was eating exclusively foods that were beige. Okay. You know, fried foods, pasta, um, chicken, just, you know, the stuff that tastes really good but doesn't do much for your body. Oh, that's so interesting. I never even, I've never even considered it like that, but that's amazing. All right, so because I've seen a picture of you, and you seem like a average looking body type. Like I wouldn't look at you and go, well, that girl looks like she'd been overweight at some point. So you, you, you're in a good place now, as far as you're concerned, I would imagine. I'm in a better place. Um, I actually last year had another autoimmune disorder flare up. Good um, for you. What is, no, I'm just yes. <laughs> And you get an autoimmune disease and you get an autoimmune disease. You're like, I got one already. Thank you. Uh, but you no, know, what happened? So actually, about four years ago, um, my thyroid started becoming overactive, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were treating it, and eventually it went away. But last year, it came back again, and we had to kill it, um, the radioactive iodine treatment. So my thyroid was overactive, and then during the treatment, it's really overactive, and I wasn't allowed to exercise at all. Like, I couldn't even take leisurely walks. Because if you raise your heart rate too high, you could risk permanent damage. Wow. Yeah. So I actually had to let go of my exercise regimen for six months during the treatment. And um, I kind of lost a lot of progress. So I'm, I, I have goals that I'm reaching for. And uh, I'm able to start working towards them again. But I'm still much better than I was when I started. And I can see the goals. I will get there. And I'm thinking most people are like, I don't wish a doctor would tell me I couldn't exercise. Like, how great would that be if my doctor's <laughs> like, listen, it's my medical advice that you should not exercise. Well, I'm sorry that, that, you're, that, are, that things are piling up on, upon things. That sucks. And um, you know, I, don't, I don't like to hear that at all, uh, obviously. And I'm sure you didn't either. But, but still, so, so the weight, I just want to go for a minute. So like to you, the diabetes... It's interesting because I don't think of weight and diabetes as being, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to get lost in a thought here, so bear with me for a second. But when I think about the health that revolves around diabetes, I just think about it as um, blood sugars in a range that I, we've decided on and, and trying not to peak too far out of that range for too long and, not, and, and below that range for too long. But I, I'm wondering as you're speaking if I only think about that aspect of it because my daughter's in is like a fit child. Like, I wonder if I don't think about the rest of it because it's not an issue for me. Do you, you know, do you know what I mean? Like I, I bet you I'm now thinking that if my daughter's weight was in some way a health concern that I would tie that in my mind back to the diabetes too. And, and you're forced to, um, as well. Cause when you're overweight, your insulin needs are different than fit people. And as you're losing weight and exercising more, Every day, you have no idea what your insulin sensitivity is going to be. Oh, okay. 
Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I have to adjust my temporary basils every single day, depending on my activity level and if my weight is trending downwards or plateauing. There is so much to take into consideration because I let it get so far out of hand and now I'm trying to get back. That all makes sense. I just, it just doesn't, it didn't strike me initially like that, but that makes total sense. Okay, so, so you go to your doctor. Now, I am interested. You go to your doctor and tell him, I've been lying to you forever about how I take care of myself. And what was the reaction back from the doctor? Like, not, I, I don't know if I'm more interested in, like, I, I guess I want to hear first, like, could you tell on a human level, was it like, was the doctor like, oh my God, I just waste my time here. Do you know what I mean? Like, like what, what was their, their reaction? Well, my doctor is not a very um, expressive man. He's a little bit um, cold and I love him. He's great, but he's not easy to read. Though the last few years before I told him, uh, you could see it in his face. He knew I was lying. He knew the numbers I was showing him weren't real. He he knew all I wanted was my insulin prescription, and you I could tell. Yeah. And uh, so when I told him, there wasn't much of a reaction, but in the following appointments, you could tell that he felt differently. Like he cares more about my treatment because I do. Like we communicate and we have conversations and it's not checking check boxes off his list. His attitude is a little warmer and uh, it, it, our relationship has changed. The Omnipod tubeless insulin pump is waterproof. You can wear it in the shower, the bathtub, or the swimming pool. The Omnipod is also discreet. It's so tiny and lightweight that you can wear it anywhere that you would inject. And you can dress however you want. No one would ever know you're wearing it unless you want them to. Now that's simple, isn't it? An insulin pump with no tubes that's discreet, flexible, waterproof. The Omnipod even inserts on its own. Well, automatically. Like it doesn't actually... Like, it doesn't come to life and walk across the room and, like, put itself on you. But, you know, you you put the pod on and then just push a button and then it automatically inserts. It's hands-free. With just a simple push of a button, you're wearing the Omnipod and it is delivering your insulin. You could even sleep in tomorrow because you're not on injections anymore. You don't have to wake up to get your slow-acting insulin going. No, that sounds good. I know you know that sounds good. Let me tell you some real-world stuff about the Omnipod. Just last weekend, Arden was in an all-day softball tournament. It was indoors because the weather around here is not great yet. So she was across this field in this bubble thing wearing her Omnipod. You know we kept her blood sugar around 85 through three softball games spread out over eight hours. Little bumps and nudges of insulin. Throughout the day, we used her basal insulin increases and decreases to manipulate her blood sugar and keep it where we wanted it. She had a big lunch. We bolus for it. No problem. Everything done right through the Omnipod. This Omnipod was out of her way, no problem. She was running around, hitting a ball, throwing a ball, sliding, diving all over the place. Never an issue. You can get a free no-obligation demo of the Omnipod today by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box or by clicking on the links in your show notes. So if I'm right, what you're saying is that he knew, first of all, you were involved in one of the things in life that scare me the most. Like, there's nothing to me more frightening in an interpersonal relationship when both people are lying and both people are aware they're lying. That seems like such an incredible waste of time to me. Like, like I, that's the, and I don't mean that harshly towards your situation. I'm talking about that bigger in my, in, in life in general. Like, there's, there, I can think of almost nothing worse than me taking the time to make up a story to tell you and you taking the time to pretend you believe it. It's just like, I'm like, wow, we shouldn't even be talking to each other. I agree. And, and it was a waste of our time, but I needed that prescription. I couldn't afford insulin without well, sure. prescription. Yeah, and the rest of what I was going to say is that he, he's in this situation where he's a doctor. Like he is bound to give you this care. And so he can only do what he can do, I guess. Like, I guess in his mind, if you're not going to be honest, he's waiting for you to be honest. And, and at some point, it sounds like it probably deadened him a little bit when you came in because he was sort of like, look, I know this girl's not telling me the truth, but 
I'm not her dad. I'm her doctor. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not her conscience. I'm her doctor. So I'll do the best I can do for her with the information she's willing to give me. What do you think would have been valuable? Like, is there something he could have done that could have sped up this process? Or do you think you just needed to come to this on your own? I, I believe that people have to want it. I don't think there's anything you can say, you know, to lots of people who are choosing to hurt themselves. I don't think you can say things to them. I wish it was as easy as saying words, but they have to want it. Yeah, he couldn't have I said had to you. To want it. He couldn't have said to you like, "Hey, I need you to go see a therapist or something." Or do you think any of that would have been valuable for you? I think I would have resented him greatly if he suggested <laughs> that I needed therapy, which I we probably all do. Sure, no, I, yeah, um, I should be there right now. And so, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um. So you said something just now that made me, I want to ask you, if, do you think looking back, were you trying to hurt yourself in some way or was it just an overall self-esteem issue or were you mad about having diabetes or do you know what? I was avoiding dealing with it. I didn't want the disease. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to put the effort into maintaining it because I didn't want it. And no one wants it. <laughs> no, yeah, right. But no one wants it, but your this was your reaction to, to not wanting it. And did you feel that way back when you were younger and you were diagnosed or did this happen to you as you grew older? No, the whole time I, I acted this way for, Oh God, what would that be? Like 10, 12 years now. It was a long time that I just didn't care. Didn't want it. Did the bare minimum to feel good. Right. And so you weren't even considering your health. You were just like, what gets me to where I can do the things I want to do today without being in pain or sick or, or that, or that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And I did keep myself out of the hospital. Um, during the thyroid stuff, it was a little more difficult, but I stayed out of the hospital. I, I kept myself feeling, you know, using the bare minimum amount of effort. I kept myself good. Isn't that something? Wow. And, and, and so not only is this happening to you, but you're well aware that it's going on. It's not like, it's not like you're having some sort of an odd reaction that you don't understand. You're conscious of what's happening. Like that's even more. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, thinking I, back on it. Yeah, I guess so. Like I didn't, I, I, I searched for an adjective just there and I, I didn't know where to go to be perfectly honest with you. I couldn't say if it on my end, if it's interesting or terrifying or, or exactly what it is. It's that the idea that, that you were, you were not just doing these things, but you were aware that you were doing them and you had a line that you had drawn for like, well, as long as I don't go past this, I'm okay with this. Did you think while you were doing it, did you think you were limiting the, the distance that your life would travel while you were doing it? I honestly, uh, even, even now with me caring, there are worse things to me than death. <laughs> And I know that's really morbid, and I don't know if you want to go there. Not but. at all. What, what, what's something that's worse than death? Now, I've been married for 21 years, so <laughs> you're going to have a hard time shocking me. But go ahead. What, what, what's, worse than, what's worse than death? Uh, getting another disease. Something else to deal with and not be. Yeah, yeah. Just, just more things that I have to struggle with and more things that I have to maintain. Like, death will be so much easier than having another autoimmune disease. And so... And so I want to I want to sort of back up for a second so that you can do you feel in any way this is completely this is not even why we had Lindsay on the podcast but it's <laughs> doing a great job nevertheless do you feel are you a depressed person I have had depression um I I'm not now and I do sometimes wonder if my thoughts are dangerous or if I'm just being realistic and I have a different experience in life than other people. Cause I am not depressed now. I feel fantastic. I am happier than I have ever been. I feel great, but I mean, just being honest, like death would be a nice release. <laughs> you know how many times I'd have to stab myself if I were dead? Zero. <laughs> now, now, okay. I like where we're going with this. So <laughs> I, I, so I feel like you're talking about this in a more of a kind of like in your head theoretical way, and and not like, hey, I'm thinking that when the podcast is over, I'm going to go hop out a window, <laughs> you know. Like, and so, uh, it, so I'm really, it's. I think it's cool to talk about because I get what you're saying. Like, if you're being, 
there is a point where something hits you, you know, you listen, you could be the happiest, most fulfilled, uh, you know, joyous person in the world. And if I start waterboarding you for 15 years, you'll probably <laughs> be like, you know what? I give up. It's over. Let, let it be like, you, like, you know, there is, everyone's got a limit to how much they can accept before they just say, I don't, I don't have any more stretch. I can't, I can't bend anymore. Um, and then I think that, you know, some people would hear that and think, well, then you have to find a way to deal with it, which is, I think what you've done, I think that you've dealt with it by saying to yourself, look, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be as healthy as I possibly can be, but I'm not going to delude myself. I've, I've lived a part of life that some people don't get to live. And I can tell you that there are worse things than dying. Like, I, I mean, am I, I'm reading you pretty well. Yeah. And the last 18 years might not have happened. Like I was diagnosed with something that would have killed me a hundred years ago. So I'm, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing because I can, like, this is great. You feel like you're in bonus time the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that is a gift. I mean, as death might be a gift as well, but you know, having all this technology that allows me to, you know, have dogs, <laughs> you know, be alive and experience the things I'm experiencing. That's great. It's funny. I hope people can hear through because you, if you don't, if you're not taking you from the right perspective, you sound like you're saying two conflicting things, but you're not. It's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, I think you're fairly well realized over, over this. I think your path has led you to this ability to see sort of all angles of this idea. Like you're thrilled to be alive, but you yeah. know, you can also <laughs> think, you can also think about the rest of it. So, um, I'm going to take a yeah. drink. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. So I don't let, you know, the fear of dying, you know, limit the things I experience. Like, oh, I, I can't do that because if my blood sugar goes over a certain number, I'm limiting the number of days here. I'm not going to live that way. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. And, and, and so, but now you've, so the, so your weight was, was an impetus for you to think about your diabetes in a different way. You're thinking about your diabetes in a different way. Now you've tried to, obviously a lot of different things, you tried eating differently, um, exercise, the, the thyroid thing got in the way of the exercise. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing right now? You, you have an insulin pump, you have a glucose monitor. How do you manage things today? I have the T slim G four and the Dexcom and it has been lovely. Do you think if somebody puts those tools in your hand when you're 12, do you think you're sitting in a different spot right now? Now I got an insulin pump when I was 14 and it did not change my habits at all. It just made it easier for me to, um, be a little bit better. You know, I could take insulin during class or in the middle of the night and not be inconvenienced. But if I had been given a CGM instead of the insulin pump when I was 14, I think my life would be a lot different. Just seeing, the aware, the awareness of being able to see what yes, was actually happening. Seeing the immediate consequences of some of my choices have, has changed a lot of my actions. So would you say then that your weight gain was sort of your first CGM? Like it was the first time you were able to see when I do a B happens. Like that was the first time B was visual to you and, and like available for you to absorb. Does that make sense or am I taking that wrong? Like, uh, it makes sense, but I think that the weight gain was more of a vanity check and then seeing my parents not be able to do just basic tasks made me that switch that vanity you. check over to a health check gotcha. and the diabetes wasn't really factored into that. Lindsay was like, you know what's worse than dying, staying alive and not being able to walk up the steps. Who's that exactly. sort of, yeah, that's kind of what hit you. Okay. All right. Because, because it's, you know, sometimes you think something has to happen so that you can understand, you know, how your actions affect things further. And that's what the, that's what the, one of the things the CGM is, is great for is that it, and it's why, you know, I was able to, and a lot of other people are able to make like better dosing decisions because you can see like, wow, I did this right here. And then this happened. And, you know, if I would have just maybe done it sooner or more or heavier or lighter or whatever, like, like the, I can see how that would have changed the direction of my, you know, you think of it as that graph line, but it's really the direction of your, of your, of your 
immediate future. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. am I gonna, is my budget going to be high or low? Am I going to feel good or am I not? That kind of stuff. And uh, it, it's really affected exercise as well. Like, there are days where I look at that graph and I'm like, I really need to go to the gym. Tomorrow's going to suck if I don't go to the gym today. And that's why I go. Because, t- tell people why, though. I, I elaborate on that if you would. Um, I mean, if I exercise, my insulin sensitivity is different. Um, and if I spend the day where I, I'm like at 200 and I take insulin and it's not budging and it's not budging, I'm like, you know what? I need to bump up my sensitivity. And so I, I go to the gym. I do my HIIT workout for 30 minutes. And then the whole next 24 hours is much easier to handle. No kidding. So, so not that we don't know that exercise is, you know, really impactful. Like, you know, there's, um, there used to be that, the big blue tests where you ran out, you exercised for 15 minutes, you were down your blood sugar and to show people that like a 160 blood sugar could become like a 110 blood sugar just from going for a walk for, for a couple of minutes that how important being active is to how your insulin works for you. And now that's, that's an interesting example because my body doesn't work that way. And, and I do know other, I'm, listen, you're great because you were going to say the next thing I was good. I, I shouldn't have talked. Go ahead. Yeah. My body doesn't work that way when I'm exercising, you know, unless I took a huge bolus right before, um, it, my blood sugar does not move while I'm active. It stays perfectly stable, which is scary, but amazing. How about when you're, when you're done without insulin, would it fall later? Yeah, a couple later, a couple hours later, my insulin sensitivity changes and it starts to drop. And uh, I'm sorry, my dogs just came in and I don't know where they came from. It's fine. It's usually <laughs> my dogs, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple hours later, it'll start to affect me, and then the whole next day, my insulin sensitivity's better. Hmm. That's really but every body is different. That oh. you know, you can follow advice, you can talk to people in support groups, but you have to remember that every body is different. Yeah. No, I uh, my daughter's been in this in this weird space for about the last six weeks now, where her insulin needs are um, exactly the way they've always been. You know, from the time she mo- wakes up to all through the day, everything happens exactly the way I expect. The basal rates are the way I expect them to be bolusing for foods where I expect it to be. Then all of a sudden at night, around 10 o'clock at night, it's she still needs the same ba- bolus if she was going to eat, but her basal needs are almost non-existent into like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I know that's going to stop at some point soon, and I, <laughs> but I, for the life of me, can't figure out what it is. But it's been a, there's been a number of long nights, you know, turning insulin down, you know, keeping it down, uh, not wanting to keep it down so long that it jumps back up, so just trying to stay aware you know, a couple too many juice boxes to the point where she was like, I don't want to drink a juice box. And I was like, no, nah, I got you. I, I don't, I don't blame you. Um, but it's weird because right before that, nothing was like that. And soon enough, whenever that soon enough is, it won't be like that again. And you know, it's, and then somebody, you could tell that story to somebody else who might just be like, that's never happened to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like it's, it's, it's really interesting. So, okay. So 35 minutes into it, <laughs> the reason Lindsay came on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know you were going to be so interesting. So I put this thing out on the, I feel like, I feel like I'm two days ago. I put this thing on the internet. I was like, Hey, if you were to get cured, does anyone see that as being frightening in some way or a loss or something like that? And you came right back and you said yes. And, and so I was wondering what you meant by that. Cliffhanger. Hey. All right, listen, let's keep talking about the softball game from last weekend. Arden's wearing her Omnipod, but she's also wearing a Dexcom G5 continuous glucose monitor. We can see her blood sugar, what it's doing, how fast it's doing it, what direction it's going. That's where we get the indication for, hey Arden, we need a temp basal decrease 50% for an hour. Or, hey Arden, we need to bolus here. When we got to Arden's softball game, her blood sugar was so stable at 80, and then it tried to go up. I don't know if the adrenaline got a hold of her or what happened, but I was able to aggressively bolus stop a spike and get it right back where I wanted to because I could see her blood sugar on her Dexcom. Now, how could I see that if she was so far away? Well, Dexcom has a share feature. So Arden's carrying an iPhone with her that has the Dexcom share app on it, and I'm carrying an iPhone with the Dexcom follow app on it. It works with Android too, but I have an iPhone. So I'm seeing Arden's blood sugar as it's happening on my phone. That's that simple. 
a quick text message, hey, do this, hey, bowl is that, hey, bang, bang, that, whatever. Doesn't matter. It's so simple. But it doesn't just work at a softball game. It works while they're sleeping over at a friend's house. It works while they're at school. It works while they're halfway across the country. If you're an adult living with type 1 diabetes, it works while you're at the office, or at the gym, or on vacation, or on a date, or sitting at home on your sofa. Knowing what direction your blood sugar is moving and how fast it's going in that direction is great. And you know what? You don't even have to pay attention to it because you can set rise and fall alerts. You can set thresholds. You can tell the Dexcom when you want to know what your blood sugar is. You can personalize it any way you want. Please go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice where the link in your show notes to find out more. Uh, I mean, there are a few reasons I'd be scared, but the biggest one, this goes back to the thyroid problem I had where it just kind of went away for a few years. Every time my heart started to flutter, I was scared the thyroid was back. Like every time I felt a little weird and I didn't know why, I just knew I was sick. And I, I feel like if my diabetes were cured... You know, I wouldn't wear my continuous glucose monitor any, any, all the time anymore. And every time I felt a little bit of adrenaline, I'd be worried my blood sugar is low. Every time I felt a little groggy and tired, I'd be like, my blood sugar is high. It's back. It's back. I'm sick again. I need to do something right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you're, you're, in, you're, oh, that's really so interesting. So when I said, hey, would anybody think it would be scary not to, to, to have diabetes go away, it's scary to you almost in the way of a heart attack survivor has that, yes. that constant fear forever, like, am I, I'm going to have another heart attack at some point. Or somebody who's had cancer says, oh, you know, how do I live not wondering if it's going to come back tomorrow? So you would almost prefer to have type 1 diabetes than to live knowing what it was, what it, how it impacted your life, and worried constantly it was going to come back again. Yeah. Wow. Because, uh, I mean, at least I know. Yeah. I, I would prefer better technology to take care of it. But, you know, at least I know what my blood sugar is at every moment. I know what's probably what's going to happen. Um, and I'm not sitting there wondering. Like, if I went on a roller coaster, when I got off, am I going to know that that everyone else is feeling that way or am I feeling a little bit different and I need to be worried? Wow. Lindsay, you are a cornucopia of feelings. I did not, <laughs> I didn't, by the way, that's the episode title cornucopia <laughs> of feelings or Lindsay's a cornucopia of feelings. We'll see how it fits in the title box. But, 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 but seriously, like I'm so thrilled you came on because I just thought I have to admit, like when someone comes on, I, I sort of in my own mind, everyone who's ever been on the podcast can tell you, and you can attest to this. We do literally no preparation beforehand. I don't know anything about you when this starts because I really want us to have this conversation. Um, but in my mind, you know how like you hear someone on the radio and then you see them in person? Like, that's not what I thought they'd look like. Uh, so I, when you told me you would be scared if your diabetes went away, I just extrapolated out a completely different story than the one you just told. Which So you really took me by surprise because I expected you to say that it's been such a big part of my life. You know, maybe I, I wouldn't know who I was without it or say something like that. But you really, you showed a different level. Well. Yeah. Like, it is a part of my identity. I do have a big tattoo on my forearm for medical alert. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, you know, I spend my time volunteering and educating people around me. It is a part of who I am. Yeah. But. But I've that stuff you could adjust to. That I can give up. Right, right. <laughs> you know? That stuff you could eventually adjust to, but you don't think you'd ever be able to adjust to the just the looming nausea that you would feel that it was today was the day it was coming back. Yeah, I would probably test myself all the time. I I would be very worried. And it would probably get better every year, but I don't think I would ever not have a glucose meter in the house just to comfort myself. You, you're making, I'm going to draw the oddest parallel here, but you just made me think of like those World War I, World War II movies where the pilots have to go, uh, they, they crash into the ocean and then they're alive. And when I see them in the, in the little plastic boat or paddling, I think in my, I think in their mind, they must be thinking a shark's about to bite me. A shark's about to bite me. A shark's because I would just think that until the shark bit me and like, you know what I mean? Like I just like that yeah. is, that is sort of the feeling. Like how do you, when you know it's there and you know how dangerous it is and you know how, what it could do to you when it gets to you, 
and you imagine that it is just a matter of time before it happens, how do you, it's interesting. No, so, but you don't think about death that way. No. Like you're not sitting around every because day. That, yeah. that happens to everyone eventually in a million different ways. Yeah. Lindsay, you're very uh, interesting. <laughs> is that code word for crazy? I don't know I, what it I, is. I, do, I you a, a do you have a, do you have a, are you, do you, are you with somebody or? Because <laughs> if you're not, this might be why. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, I, my boyfriend lives with me and he helps take care of me in the middle of the night. Yeah. In fact, I told him about the new um, bolusing from the phone patent that I heard about. Oh, oh really? For Tandem. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if I could bolus you from my phone, that would really help me in the Ch middle of the changes night. Changes the world. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so, and i joking a little bit. I don't think you're crazy. I just think you're, I think that you're considering more than a lot of people consider sometimes. You, you know what I mean? Yep. Like there's, there's, there's ways to get through the day and then there's ways to realize that, you know, everything around you really, and, and there's a fine line like between being paranoid and being just aware that it is true. Like I, I have a very big old oak tree in front of our house and it is not lost on me that if it fell, it would just kill us all. <laughs> like, you, you know, and, and so my brain says to me, well, that thing's been there for 70 years. It's not going to fall over. And and I go, okay. And then I never think about it again. But every once in a while, I walk outside and I go, I wonder which one of the kids would take it the worst if that happened in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, like, like it would be the girl, by the way, because her room's more to the corner. But, but, the, but the point is, is that, you know, a healthy mind doesn't spend time thinking about that constantly. And yours doesn't either because you're so blasé about the end of your life that you're just like, nah, it's fine. I'm good. But, <laughs> but, but to think that that was the concern that popped into your head, if you took my diabetes away today, I would just constantly be scared it would come back. I think what that shows more than anything is the impact that the diabetes has had on your life. Yeah. yeah. And just how much of every aspect of my life is affected by it. Yeah. You, you know, you really gave me, you're just giving me a lot to think about because it, you, you sound like, you sound like you were, you know, abducted when you were 12 and you've been kept in a dark room for the last 18 years and now you're out and all you can probably think about is what if someone else grabs me and sticks me back in that room again? It just, yes. yeah. And I, and I think it's probably an apt comparison that diabetes does, you know, we all do a really good job. Everybody does a really good job of living the best they can every day with type one. Right. But, yeah. but you can't. And, and, and the way you do that is by not thinking about the parts of it that it's sort of taken, but at the same time, I put you in this sort of like fantasy world where I asked you to think about it. And that's what you thought about. I, uh, I talk to a lot of people and I know you have experienced this where they hear the word diabetes and they want to tell you about everyone they've ever known who's had diabetes. And I get a lot of, oh yeah, I knew someone that had type one diabetes, but they didn't take care of themselves. And I find myself like defending this stranger who they're insulting <laughs> behind their back. Like it's really hard. Like you don't understand when you have to think about it every moment of every day, sometimes you just want to break and you can't take it. Yeah. And you, so you might see them behaving a certain way and think, oh, they don't care about themselves. Oh, they're a bad diabetic. No, they're trying their hardest. <laughs> it's just way harder than you think. Yeah. Every day in and out. I remember it's funny cause we're recording this on the weekend of the hurricane in Texas. And cause I don't know when this will go up. So that's in towards the end of August, if you're listening and you're wondering what it was. And what you just said made me think about a conversation I had with a neighbor going all the way back to Katrina. Um, uh, before, before you start, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I was actually also in Katrina, That's my cornucopia of feelings, oh. um, and lost everything. Of course you are. <laughs> How would you not have been? <laughs> did, did a piece of debris happen to hit you in the thyroid during that storm by any chance? <laughs> Well, so, okay, hold on a second. We might get back to that. But but I'm talking to a neighbor, right, who makes this statement that I found just insane, that why don't they just leave? And I said, well, hey, what if they can't afford to leave? And he's like, who couldn't afford to leave? I'm like, well, try to imagine being a person 
who doesn't have enough money to, with three days notice, leave a place where they know is going to be swelled over by an ocean, basically. Um, I'm like, I, I said, try imagine being that broke. And then he goes into, well, if you work harder. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, he's like, I worked hard. And I said to him, like, didn't you go to college? And he said, yeah. I was like, did your parents pay for it? And he goes, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm like, I'm like, so you're proud of the hard work you put in after someone else paid to send you to college? I was like, what does that mean even? Like, you know, he goes, well, you know, other people could do that. And I was like, you know, some people live in generational systemic poverty and lack of education. I said, you might be looking at a person who hasn't been in a family structure that's made more than $12,000 a year for 80 years and hasn't completed any education of any meaningful thing for 50 years. And if that's the case, how are you telling them all you need to do is go out into this world and figure it out and do it the way I did? I said, they don't have any of the tools that you have. And he couldn't see that. Because I think that if he imagined that, then he'd realize how random the success in his life was and how little it had to do with his hard work and how much it had to do with just the random goodness of how his life fell into place. And it's not lost on me that while you're talking and I'm thinking, wow, I'm so lucky to this point that my daughter is not having the issues that you had, she could, you know, I mean, there's that I'm not religious enough to know the saying, but it's like there for the grace of God, go I, right? Go or whatever. There's probably a V in there or something like that because it's more religious. But, but that idea that had just a couple of things fallen differently for me, my reality could easily be your reality and vice versa. And, um, and that's what you're making me think of. We can only know our own experiences and trying to judge people based on our experiences is not It's a waste fair of time to them. Yeah, it's unfair to them, but it's also just a waste of your time. And it's just an exercise in you trying to feel better about yourself. You know, like every yeah. it, it is a it is a very common thing for people to just try to find somebody doing worse than them so they can say, Oh, look at these people. What a mess. Not like me. Like how look how I have it together. Exactly. And I I feel like these people are trying to compliment me by saying, but, you know, they were a bad diabetic. Like, yeah, not like you great. and me. You're a great diabetic, and if I had diabetes, I'd be way good at it. That's all I wanted to say yeah. here. Yeah, this sounds yeah. very reminiscent That's of somebody it... in the country right now. But, um, but so, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it's fascinating. And it's not just around diabetes. It's, it, it's just how people's minds work. I, excuse me, I tried, to, I tried to tell my son one time um, when he was much younger he had this moment where I think he had a realization that he was academically much stronger than a friend of his. And, um, I said to him, you know, there's somebody somewhere right now who could look at you and think, well, this kid's impaired compared to me. You, you know what I mean? I'm like, we're all just, you know, if you're going to really stop and try to slot us all into a space, first of all, that's a big waste of your time. But secondly, it's not important. I said, your friend's still a good guy, right? He's a good person. You like him and all that stuff. And there's a guy out there somewhere who's probably way smarter than you, who's also a good guy. You guys could all know each other and be great friends. It doesn't matter which one of you is academically stronger than the other one. And it just, and just remember, there's always somebody out there who is bigger, stronger, faster, better, smarter than you are. Like you're not the, you're not the one, you, you know what I mean? So if you're thinking of, you know, crapping on the person below you, just remember there's somebody who at this moment is being kind enough not to crap on you. And if they don't exist yet, they'll exist tomorrow. Right, right, right. It's just, it's just, uh, it's Lindsay. I don't even know why you came on anymore. I don't even remember. This has been so good. Um, all right. Go Damn it. Lindsay, tell me about being in Katrina. How old were you? Oh, I had just graduated high school. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had spent one week at college and uh, it was, I went to college in New Orleans and uh, yeah, it was, I remember we were walking around, there's like two or three feet of water in the house and everyone is scrambling around trying to get stuff up to the second floor to stay dry and I was feeling a little wonky, just a little short of breath. And uh, I'm like, I, I need to take a break. My mother's like, yeah, yeah, you take care of you. Like, the last thing we need is you to be sick. And I just started crying because I want to help. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I couldn't. 
Yeah. I needed to care more about how I was feeling than whether or not all the food made it upstairs. Right. Isn't that something? And then, and there's an irony too. You, all you want to do is help. Your health is keeping you from helping. And then in, in, in an effort to tell you that it's okay, sweetie, we understand you take care of you. All that really did was make you realize, oh my God, I'm not helping because of my health. And it's just, it's, it's, you almost can't escape the spiral that, 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 that that situation ends up being, you know? So a couple feet of water in your house, how long did the water stay in your house? Well, actually that wasn't even my house. Uh, My house was much closer to the beach and it had water up over the roof. Wow. Um, This was my boyfriend at the time, his parents' house that we evacuated to, which was farther inland. Okay. And yeah, it got four feet of water on the first floor. (laughs) So we spent the day on the second floor. What does that do to a house afterwards? Is it livable after that or does it need major reconstruction after something like that happens? Um, they had to, you, what they do is they cut off above the water line mm-hmm. because it, it comes in the house slowly. So everything above the water line, it's not like it's splashing around right. with big waves. So they cut off the drywall above the water line and they spray the wood studs for mold and then they put all that back up. Okay. So, so the house is allowed to dry out. It's treated with something and it's put back together again. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you don't have, you know, air conditioning, but, um, you know, if you have a second floor that could be livable, um, or you get a trailer and you live in the trailer while you fix the house up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, do they, p- they fix it up and it looked better than before. <laughs> do people, do people who can afford it just abandon the, the area ever? Do you see people just be like, that's enough for me. I'm out of here. Uh, most of my neighborhood was completely abandoned Um, because you get your insurance money and you get more of it if you rebuild but you still you get insurance money and a lot of people just left because Katrina especially there you couldn't hire anyone to fix your houses there were too there was too much damage uh, and too wide of an area that you know getting a team down there was way more expensive than if it wasn't a damaged area. There are not enough hands to help everybody who needs the help. So then it becomes in either impossible to find or too expensive once you find it. Exactly. Wow. And to this day, there are still houses that were just abandoned and they can't sell them because they I never mean, got repaired. Wow. So it's a devastation, not just in the moment, but for, for a long time afterwards, the area is just never the same again. Yeah. Um, I know that some of the smaller hurricanes in other areas while I was living down there, um, you know, it was much easier to fix up like three towns than it is to fix up, you know, five, what was that? Four or five states. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, so I, the, that is unique to Katrina. Um, that's not the case. Like Ivan damaged Pensacola, but all of that was re- repaired. Like none of it sat there for decades. So as a person with diabetes, when you hear the hurricane, a hurricane is coming and it's going to be that kind of thing where you have to run inland, how much of your focus goes to your medication and your things like that? Is that the first thing you think of or? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, makeup's on the list, but it's much farther down. (laughs) Well, I mean, if the news comes, you are going to want to spruce up a little bit before you go out. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely. Because I, I, you have that thought when your kids first diagnosed, you, you know, it, it rains hard. You're like, what if all the, you know, you start, you know, what if the pharmacy was closed and I dropped this vial of insulin? What if everybody drops their vial of insulin at the same time? Am I going to have to shoot somebody at the pharmacy to get Arden her insulin? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, you do. Yeah, I'm terrified of international travel. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Okay. Because the black market value of insulin is very high. Mm-hmm. And so, what if I got there and I couldn't get I couldn't get some, or I lost mine? Someone or, stole mine. Someone stole mine, or anything like that. We don't actually. When we go, we we infrequently, but a few times in our life, like to go to the Caribbean on vacation, and we only go to the the U.S. Virgin Islands for some reason because it feels like at least if there was a problem, we could 
I don't know. Like it just, I don't know. It's, it's probably a completely unreasonable feeling, but yes, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's totally irrational. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. have diabetics in other countries. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, it might be expensive, but it's going to be fine. Do you think the British Virgin Islands has somebody with <laughs> diabetes too? <laughs> uh, yeah, so you uh, have that like, but, but to make the point is the first time we ever traveled like that was a long time ago when Arden was much younger. And it was one of the considerations I remember discussing. Well, at least it's a U.S. held territory. And, you know, we, I guess we ended up liking the place, so we, we, we visit back a lot. But, you know, the, one of the things that got us there was just an irrational thought about insulin. It, it really was. So, and I pack enough when I leave to, to, I would say, you know, keep eight to ten people with diabetes really healthy for like a month. <laughs> you know, like it's just there's so much stuff. Like I look at the Omnipods I take with me and I'm like, what am I expecting to happen here? You, you know, like is she going to need one every day? Which, <laughs> why do I have so many? Um, but then. Hey, you might. You, I mean, you, <laughs> you better have it. And it's not doing you any good at home. Well, That's right. how I think about right, it. Right, right. So, so when this, when, when you're like, wow, Katrina's coming, your first thought is we're getting out of here and I got to make oh, no. sure I have all no, the stuff this with me. Was, Katrina was not our first hurricane. Oh, okay. We've, I mean, you uh, having to leave every single time is a crazy thought. Okay. There are so many hurricanes, apparently not in the last 12 years. But when I was living in Mississippi, it was just every year there were a couple of hurricanes. You can't leave for every single yeah, one. You can't bug out every time. Yeah. And they kicked us out of our neighborhood, which is why we went seven miles inland not enough by the way not enough <laughs> we really thought that it was going to hook and hit florida so we didn't leave like days before mm -hmm. and then once you get up to the day the traffic's so bad that we couldn't have made it very far right well that's the other thing is that everybody's now driving on these roads and i actually said that to my wife the other day they were interviewing some guy who was like uh, you know, I don't feel like we have to leave because we're 10 miles from that line. And I was like, why is the guy acting like 10 miles is a big deal <laughs> for a storm that's 300 miles across? Like, why is 10 miles the, like the deciding factor for him? He's like, Oh, don't worry. We're 10 miles away. It'll be fine. I'm like 10 miles, not that far. And, uh, it just, it's funny how I get exactly what you're saying. I get, you can't leave every time. And yet when you heard a guy on the news say, we're not going anywhere. I was like, you're a fool. <laughs> and, and but he's to your point he's lived there his whole life and he's like look i can't leave every time this happens yeah you you get kind of jaded and and kind of deadened to the threat mm -hmm. which is dangerous yeah. obviously <laughs> but yeah when you have when you experience it not hurt you so many times it's hard to Imagine take it's it seriously yeah. i mean the night before we had a bonfire on the beach like oh katrina's coming let's go have a party right <laughs> You know, you know, it's a good reason to get together. Yeah, Imminent I got my doom. first tattoo that night. Did it you was, really? <laughs> it was a horrible idea. I couldn't wash it. It went bad. It was, but yeah, that's what you do. There's a hurricane. Let's go get tattoos and light stuff on fire. Oh my Jeez, oh, that's that's it's, it's a, another incredible perspective. Lindsay is a completely. Uh, she's just like looking from behind the mirror at yourself a little bit. Like, like she just she's seeing seeing things in a. Do you have this feeling about other, I guess you do about other aspects of your life. You don't like the way you spoke about earlier about like, there's things worse than death. You like other aspects of your life. Are you sort of carefree about it in that regard too? Do you think about things differently as a whole or do you think it's, I mean, I'm a little bit of a control freak, but I definitely have worked on my perspective in a way that I stay happy about it. Okay. I gotcha. Well, and you've got that boyfriend. He can, you can. Tell him what oh, to do. He has helped me so much because he is not a worrier. Right. And he is not a super planner. Mm -hmm. He went he went out of the country and like didn't even have a hotel reserved. I couldn't do that. So my, <laughs> so my, my wife and I have this same dynamic where my wife is very sort of like structured and type A, I guess. And we were first married. This is going to sound completely ridiculous and this will be a, a great way to end the hour. So... I had watched the movie The American President in the middle of the week, and it had made me feel very patriotic, and I don't know why. And I said to my wife, my very new wife, by the way, we had only been married for a very short amount of time. I said, hey, this weekend, let's go to D.C. and sightsee. I said, I've just watched The American President. I'm feeling very patriotic. You should watch it, too. You will also feel patriotic. And then we will go to D.C. and we will sightsee. And she was like, okay. 
because we weren't together that long and she was probably like what idiot did i marry but but you know she's probably she's like okay so i said when we get home on friday afternoon let's just you know throw a bag together and we'll go and she's like okay okay so we get in the car and i've got this jeep we've got the top down we're really young we haven't been married very long and we're going down 95 uh going south down 95 towards dc and she says where's the map this is before navs and cell phones and things like that <laughs> and i said i don't have a map she was well oh you've been there before and i'm like no not really like you know i went with a school trip when i was a kid and she's like well how are we going to know when we get there and i said well I figured we'd drive south on 95 till we saw giant white buildings and then we'd get off an exit and there, and we had a hotel room and then we'll find the hotel. I'm like, it's numbered streets going one way and letters going the other way. We just have to find where like the G and the 10 intersect, you know, like it shouldn't be that difficult. And she just, you know, played it so like, yeah, yeah, sure. Everything's fine. Well, we got to the hotel, Lindsay, we checked in. She got in bed like she had been kidnapped and beaten and pulled the blankets up to her chin and looked horrified. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, what's wrong? And she's like, I, I, I just want to try to go to sleep. And I was like, are you okay? She goes, that was just the worst three hours of my life. And I was like, why? And she goes, cause I didn't know where we were going. And I said, what? Well, we were going South till we saw the big white buildings. I said, it worked. We're here. And she just, her personality did not lend to that. And that's really one of the first times I recognized the real difference between that, you know, like that, how like free, and I was just like, well, it'll be fine. And she was like, oh God, why don't we have a map? How come we haven't talked about this? Why didn't we write this down? Um, it was no joke yeah. to her. She was not overreacting. It is how her, it is just how her brain works. And she, I was anxious just listening to you tell that story. <laughs> and really it makes sense, right? South 95, big white buildings all lit up. Look for an exit that says Washington DC on it. And you're there. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Uh, You're like, no, it does not make any sense at all. That's how it happens in TV and movies. I'll give you that. (laughs) Driving to Washington, D.C., worse than death. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that would would make me so anxious. Isn't that something? Where where can we stop for gas on the way? Like, what if if you get a flat tire? (laughs) Oh, my God. See, that's it's such a great insight because that is exactly how she felt. And it would have never occurred to me and because we had only been together for a short time i think she was just trying to be a sport you know what i mean and so she didn't bring it up now if i said something like that she'd be like you're an idiot and i'm not doing that and i'll be like oh okay <laughs> and so but um but it just bring it, me the dossier yeah, yeah, and we'll yeah, talk yeah, yeah. Well, let's go over this a couple times before we leave and make sure everyone even um tomorrow i'm taking my son to boston to do a couple college visits and the extent of my planning is that um I know what hotel we're staying at. I've made a, a you know, I've made a reservation. <laughs> um, and I know what time he has to be at the school on Tuesday morning. And that's pretty, other than that, I couldn't possibly tell you anything else about the trip. And I, if I told my wife that she'd be irritated with me. But, so do you already have the snacks in the bags? Do you have a cooler set up? No. So I'm not, so this is my son who doesn't have high diabetes. So my daughter will stay behind. Right. But it still, but we'll, you're still human beings. You guys have to eat and, you, and drink. Never right? heard of a Wawa. You must have something like a Wawa <laughs> down there. Right. It's a place where there's gas and food at the same place. It's America. Where could you go where you couldn't eat if you had just $10 in your pocket? You'd be uh, fine. I would, I just, I need the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to go out today and buy a backpack because I don't have one and I don't even want to take a, piece of luggage with me i'm like that's too much you know so i yeah it's just it's two different ways of thinking about things it is and and he has helped me a lot uh kind of let go of some of these irrational fears and calm down a little and be more realistic well let Uh, me just yeah let me tell you i only need i only need a week of supplies for two days i don't need a month nice that's good listen that's a nice improvement but let me say this as a person who's been married for 21 years to a person who sounds like you a little bit um, you will eventually find a way to ignore the good advice that he's given you about relaxing. <laughs> and one day when it's far too late, you'll just pummel him with your anxiety <laughs> until he's like, fine, I'll be anxious too. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and that ladies and gentlemen is marriage. Now <laughs> I'm sure I only mean like 18% of that. Uh, but, but nevertheless, you were really delightful. I've now kept you over an hour. I apologize. Um, I really do appreciate you coming on and being open because you have thoughts that either are pretty different from some people or at least 
I think you know they they might not be popular with people, and so it was brave of you to share them. So I, I really appreciate that. And you know, we came together on the one idea, but then this conversation ended up being way better than that. So thank you so oh, much. Oh yes, I'm I'm sorry we spent so little time on your original topic. Now my original topic was just an excuse to get you on. It's all good. <laughs> it's, it's plus you answered the question fine. It just here's the secret to podcasting. I'm going to give it away at the end of the podcast here. You can't really do a whole hour on one thing. That becomes really boring and nobody wants to listen to that. So uh, you have to have a, I think it has to be a conversation and wherever it leads, it leads. And you said some interesting stuff when we first started talking. What was I going to do? Ignore it? Like, what, were you going to say <laughs> there's worse things than dying? And I, and should I have segued into, so anyway, you're on for this? Like, how, how would I leave that just <laughs> hanging up in the air? I'm like, I got to find out what's worse than dying. Let's get to it. Lots of things. Let's start with a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Driving to D.C. without a map. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, yes. All right, Lindsay, you are a cornucopia of feelings. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Thanks. Thanks. I want to thank Lindsay for coming on and sharing her perspective. I want to thank Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the podcast. There's links in your show notes to find out more about both of the great products. I know the sound quality on this episode was not perfect. There was something going on on Lindsay's side, but I just thought her conversation was too valuable not to share. You can look forward to hearing the audio quality that you've come to expect from the podcast in all the weeks moving forward. Just a little hiccup this week. Thanks for being patient.